Hello and welcome to The Tree Project, Dorothy Hogg Life and Legacy podcast series. I'm Ebba Goring from the Scottish Goldsmiths Trust. This podcast series has been developed to highlight the impact and legacy of the late Dorothy Hogg MBE and her influential time leading the jewellery and silversmithing department at Edinburgh College of Art. The participants in this project were selected by Dorothy alongside her friend, curator Amanda Gain. For more information on this project and all those involved, head over to our website, www.scottishgoldsmithstrust.org. In this episode, I'm joined by Maeve Gillies and Nicola Glass. Thanks both of you for joining us. Let's start with introductions and what it is that you do now. My name is Nicola Glass. I am currently a freelance consultant and creative director focusing on fashion accessories. And I currently live in Bali. The main reason being for my son to attend the Green School there, which is a school that really focuses holistically on the environment and sustainability. So for myself, having worked full-time in the fashion industry for more than two decades, it's been a great opportunity to really take a moment to explore sustainable practices myself and to get back to a hands-on way of working, which was something that was really important to me when I studied at Edinburgh. I was at ECA from 1991 to 96. And so I did a foundation year and then I specialized in jewelry design, but also spent a day a week in the fashion department. My name is Maeve Gillis and I graduated from Edinburgh College of Art in 1996 and I am a jeweller and designer. I work freelance and also have various collections and businesses in different places. I'm currently based in Edinburgh and also in New York as a dual US-UK citizen. I've spent most of my career working in the US since graduating and now getting a chance to, to do projects back in the UK as well. Now, a question for you both. Thinking back to the early 90s, what motivated your choice to go to ECA and choose to study jewellery? And what do you remember from your time there? What was it like in the workshop? And uh, what were your memories of Dorothy? One of my reasons for choosing jewellery design was definitely Dorothy herself. I came to Edinburgh Art College and the first year, which was very much like a foundation year where you got to try different areas of design or fine art. I had come from briefly studying architecture at university and I'd dropped out and then realizing actually that the architecture course was much more engineering based and technical in a way that I wanted something that was more artistic. So I I went back to study at art college. To be honest, I didn't, jewelry design was not something that I'd thought of before coming to Edinburgh and having the opportunity to try it in the foundation year. I initially thought I would have specialized in textiles or fashion design, but working in the jewelry department in my first year it really stood out from some of the other departments for multiple reasons. I think one of the reasons I chose jewellery as my specialty at Edinburgh was Dorothy. I think she, there was a, an encouragement and a, a community within that department that I, that I felt that, and the creativity and this balance between having a structure, but a freedom within the department to really explore your ideas and where that could lead you in your career really attracted me to the department. One of the things that struck me most about the department and the way Dorothy taught was there really was more of a fine art approach to teaching jewelry design. And even though it was technically within the design department, there was real emphasis on research and cultivating your own way of researching and drawing 
um, continuing to have that curiosity, even as you started a project, this hands-on approach of designing, which became very important to me and resonated throughout my career. And it's been a touchstone that I've always gone back to, not wanting to hone in on what I was doing or developing from the beginning, like having this um, openness to the work itself and how you were making things and this idea of happy accidents happening as you were making something that could take you in another direction. And Dorothy really encouraged that, but she also didn't expect everyone to work in the same way. And I think that was also important how she helped nourish the individual skills of each person. She really recognized what was the best way to encourage each person's way of working. You know, there wasn't a set way of, well, you should design it this way or draw it this way first, or, but there was an encouragement to have this creative freedom but with the discipline of researching, drawing, pushing the ideas, like keep pushing and evolving what you were doing, not settling too soon with, oh, that's it. So, which always brought, you know, unexpected things that I think is, is so important to just keep that open-mindedness when you're, when you're designing. This did really influence me even later in my career when I was leading a large design team. So as for example, at one point I was leading all the handbag designers at Michael Kors in New York. And then I went on to being a creative director at Kate Spade, where I had a design team of over 50 people. I always remembered how Dorothy encouraged each person to find their own way that they were most comfortable with working. And I did that with my design team as well. I even you know, when I worked for a bigger corporation where maybe the production team or the development team did have some parameters and how designs were being passed to factories, I wanted to make sure there was enough creative freedom for the design team, whether they wanted to sketch by hand, make quick mock-ups, maybe some were more comfortable on the computer, but what was the best way for each person? And then as a team, how we learned from each other then and this collaborative environment like creating a collaborative environment which was another you know one of my happiest memories is the camaraderie within the department we'd have these late nights working and we would be bouncing ideas off each other that's so important creating an environment where there's not pressure of competing against each other there was definitely pride in the work we were doing and wanting to push it to excellence collectively, but really creating this environment where we all encouraged and supported each other. And that really came from Dorothy was such a role model in that respect. My first memories of ECA are of coming there for Dorothy, as I had actually tried jewellery before college. My grandparents had an art gallery in the Borders and they showed the work of a local jeweller, Sheena Stephen in Edinburgh. And I absolutely used to marvel over this at the age of 15. And when I was that age, she gave me work experience for a week on her goldsmith's bench and it helped me make my first ring. And I had already completely fallen in love with the idea of jewellery. I come from an academic and scholarly family. So my mother had actually been, she was the writer in residence at Dundee Art College and all of her contemporaries um, like Will McLean. And so we're, we're very good friends with Dorothy who had taught at Dundee before and had said, this is an exceptional person. That was how I came to Edinburgh. And I would definitely say Dorothy did not did not disappoint when I walked in <laughs> expecting a lot. I just remember the excitement of first year getting that first try of walking into the department with that expectation at the same time as doing a foundation course with others who were just looking for lots of different experiences. And I walked in and I remember the excitement of that kind of golden moment of seeing the benches and the tools and the materials and and just felt that draw towards what I think was, you know, I obviously understood somewhere deep inside me that that was going to be my vocation. And now 30 years later, it was clearly the right choice. 
But then just evolving through that time and getting to know Dorothy more. I mean, at the beginning, there was, you know, exposure to lots of different tutors and not just to Dorothy herself, but it was certainly this this magnetism of this kind of ray of energy that, that was coming from Dorothy herself. And it was clear that this was, as much as you understand it at the age of 17, this was an inspirational kind of linchpin and a leader to whom all these students around her were kind of gravitating and, and this excitement of it and energy of the whole department, looking in lust through the windows at the third and fourth year hallowed benches where you would eventually migrate downstairs from the upstairs first and second years where you got to try things for the first time. So so really moving on, I think second year and third year were kind of about those the possibilities and potential of materials, which has always kind of run through my work, kind of that sense of lust for knowledge in a sort of academic way, so sort of you know, you start from the idea of knowing what your vocation is going to be, but what can you add to it that hasn't been said? And how can you really pursue that understanding and originality and, and get to the point where you know what excellence might be and really definitely push your own hopes, fears and questions out in front to, to lead your practice? And I think certainly myself going through that as now I look back as a designer, knowing that I kind of really focus on the idea of bringing multiple designs to a wider audience. And really, I think of my mission statement in life as making beautiful things that bring people joy. And, you know, that really did start at college with the idea that you could make something for people that would actually be worn and it would be appreciated and and it could be purchased as well, because I definitely was always interested alongside that in the possibilities of this being a vocation that could pay for you to live. And I should know in that second and third year window that I'd started work in a local jewellery shop, which was really influential to me to have the creative and the commercial side by side where I got to do everything from taking out the rubbish and doing the displays, but also with my gemology boss, like studying gemstones and getting to look at diamonds and do repairs and watch him do all the things he did and and even get to do the occasional engagement ring sale. Pairing that with college where people were very much more experimental was a really good balance. And then moving towards fourth year where you kind of get that sense where you really are sort of really needing to trust your voice and follow your path. So at all stages of that, I think Dorothy's kind of role within your understanding kind of grew and she really did have kind of high expectations but I feel like it was always for you to see for yourself and she sort of reflected back to you your own potential and her enthusiasm about your potential and her integrity about that and uh, the energizing connection that she gave with industry and the absolutely vital industry links of which I've got five, which kind of shaped my career, thanks to Dorothy's introductions, really were just, you know, the all-encompassing idea of what the perfect college education could be like. It's wonderful to have you both join us today. What can you remember about each other from your time at college? My first memories of Nicola at art college art and I feel looking back now I feel really influenced by by Dorothy and kind of this all-seeing eye but you know Nicola was obviously it was really kind of exotic to me because she'd come from architecture and had had this kind of choice where she'd jump back into jewelry but she was always so open to share ideas and so warm and full of creativity and slow in her approach, careful in her approach to thinking, very bright and smart and academically capable, but choosing art as a, a choice. So it was very interesting to see that approach within the jewellery environment. And we were we were good pals. And I think the first kind of moment, we sort of led these lives that have reflected each other, which has been such a joy for me. She may disagree, but she'll tell you. <laughs> But I would say, you know, the first point that I remember was Dorothy had, she was running a a scholarship opportunity in collaboration with a design firm in London called Norman Grant. Well, an individual called Norman Grant, who was a friend of hers for Grant Walker, the, the agency in London. And I had gone with fourth year at the time when I was in third year to India to work for a few months as a design teacher in SEEPS, the export zone there. And also to work with a local jewellery college that was being established. And so after that opportunity, which had been really successful for me, and it was a pivotal moment in helping me choose jewellery as a vocation and, and seeing a way forward with that. So after that, a year later, 
I was asked by Dorothy if I could choose somebody to go on another opportunity to the Philippines to design and and work with local designers in the Philippines, who would I choose? And I didn't hesitate at all. We both agreed that Nicola was the person in the department that would be the right fit for this international adventure, who had the energy and the curiosity and the capacity to take on something like that, which maybe not everybody at 17, 18 is, is really thinking about. And that went really, really well. Nicola and I had an amazing time in the Philippines, the stories of which could take several hours to to divulge but I think she would probably agree with me that these opportunities really gave us a taste for life and applying our skills in other places. We then both went on to be at the Royal College together at the same time which was a delight after I'd already worked in New York for a couple of years by then and Nicola was also working in industry. Then after the Royal College I moved back to the US to launch my American jewellery brand Mavona. Nicola then was there also working for Michael Kors after other times with other designers so we were there together we lived um, in apartments uptown and downtown and she had a baby and I had a baby and it's really been a a lifelong joy that has brought us together thanks to thanks to Dorothy kind of showing us that way and Nicola being the person that she is so I'm very grateful for that. I have great memories of me from college I think I I remember being so impressed because she was one of the younger students in the year, but she was so focused and clear that jewelry was her vocation in life. And she had this amazing capacity to really explore creatively and push the boundaries while she was at college of what she could do, but at the same time, embracing the commercial side of the jewelry industry and in, in a way that I think a lot of other students maybe didn't because we were focused more on how we were evolving and what we were creating, whereas she really was looking forward at the same time and really thinking about who's the customer, how does this industry work? Like, and she really dove into that in a way that I've a lot of admiration for. You can see how that has really blossomed in her career path and with her successes at lots of different companies, but also starting her own brand and being able to reach a really broad audience and a broad range of women with her work. So Maeve and I, we really got to know each other better when after college, we, we both went to the Philippines together to work on a project. Maeve was designing jewellery and I was teaching at five different jewellery companies. We shared a room and lived above a factory. It was Lynx of London, the the factory that was making their jewellery at the time. And we kind of were thrown into the deep end a bit. It it was a really important time for me because I was at, at another point in my career where I was trying to figure out what was my next step. And Maeve was someone who I could look to, and she was always confident and clear, at least that was the outward perception of of her path and what her next step was. And she already knew after the Philippines, she was going off to New York. And so she was someone who, whilst I was trying to work out, is jewellery the career I want to follow? I'd started making fashion accessories. She was someone who I could always speak to over the years and have guidance as well as just having a great friendship. Maeve and I, without planning, have had similar career paths. We both ended up at the Royal College of Art two years after graduating from Edinburgh and it it wasn't planned. Maeve had planned it. She was clear that that was important to her to go and study there and I came about it not by accident, but I started going to gourd winners in London to get expertise technically in handbag making, which was something that I'd started exploring whilst I was at Edinburgh in the jewellery department. Maeve was there in the jewellery department, and at this point I was there in the, the fashion department at the Royal College. Not knowing any other students at the Royal College at the time, it was great to have Maeve in another department. Oh, what a wonderful relationship. 
it's so lovely to hear how your careers and lives have echoed each other's along the way, but how you both also have your own kind of direction and your own unique creative practice. You spoke a bit already about the work experience in the Philippines. It sounds like Dorothy's connections and network really brought a lot of opportunities. Could you tell us a bit more about about that? The connections that Dorothy helped us establish and brought to us during our studies were absolutely critical and fundamental in my career development. Um, I always think of myself as somebody who's created their own opportunities within the industry to build what I'm doing next. But these things only happen when you have people that believe in you, you know, showing you the way things can be done. So for me, the main things that that changed my life were, first of all, my first trip that Dorothy arranged a scholarship to India when I was in third year, which for me really showed me that jewellery had a purpose in life. And it wasn't just purely decorative because I saw in India how much jewellery meant to a culture and obviously the role of beauty in society to uplift and the thought of slow craftsmanship across generations creating objects of reverence that were sacred to communities and all kinds of things which just blew me away to be honest and that all came back to Dorothy setting that up in the first place and then the next experience I had the scholarship to the Philippines to design for a factory there really showed me how much I loved understanding in great depth and sharing my ability to help move the dial on manufacturing possibilities. So the technical side of understanding what could be done really came to me through that scholarship. And then after that, Dorothy had connections in New York who I could speak to and I won an RSA travel award to go to New York. So with those two combined, I pounded the pavements with Dorothy's contacts until they led me to a job. And I got my first job in New York at the age of 21 and worked for two years as a fashion jewelry designer for a company that had been recommended to me through one of Dorothy's contacts. So these were all things that were a coming together of insights and Dorothy understanding how important these things were. And not just to apply them to everybody, but to pick ones individually that suited each person. And then obviously her guidance around going to RCA and and also having a a balance point of studying the difference of the Edinburgh experience versus the Royal College experience, which was so different in its approach. And then then after that, that, I moved back to New York and it was really on the basis of industry visit, which we had several of at college. A lady called Elspeth Walker, who had studied at Edinburgh College of Art under Dorothy, and Dorothy had invited her back. She'd launched her own business making fashion jewellery in New York City. And that was really the reason why I just was blown away again by her as a person. She was amazing. I mean, the people that you meet when you're that age are so make such an impression. And she was beautiful and energetic and glamorous and she had these gorgeous jewels on and these stories of traveling around the world and I just thought I want to do that I want to be like you and so that just kind of gave me a vision of of where you were working towards and you know as artists I think that's so fundamentally important to see especially when you're trailblazing and before the age of digital technology where you could just google stuff and see what it looked like or kind of have other kind of inundated with role models in a way and have to choose between them I mean these were really pivotal moments and that coupled with another opportunity that she gave me for a manufacturing business the largest platinum jewelry manufacturer in Europe was friends with Dorothy Domino in in Birmingham the owner of that was looking for a designer which is a job that I did for three years before I started my own business, which was the last piece in the puzzle for me before launching an international brand where I could see exactly the niche market. I knew how to make fine platinum jewellery. I knew how to set it. I knew what could make something different. I knew what Americans were looking for because of selling to them at Basel. And so all of these things kind of inextricably linked with Dorothy's vision of how industry links can inspire and educate and connect And obviously it's what you do with them that counts as well. But just them being there and and being such a presence has completely changed my life. Dorothy really cultivated these links with industry so she could advocate for her students and bring opportunities beyond the jewellery department so we could really see how jewellery integrated into people's lives and how it was manufactured within industry and I was really fortunate in my third year to be selected. I was one of two students to go to 
Germany to a little town called Hamlin, where there was a company called Manu, this amazing family-run company that was making really beautiful contemporary silver jewelry, silver and gold jewelry. And in that month that I was there, I designed and made my own range of jewelry, a small range of an earrings, a necklace, uh, a ring. It was a great way to see how I could take what I was making at Edinburgh myself and how to adjust that for a more industrial process of casting. The arrangement with Manu was that they gave royalties to each student on their collection. That was like such a great experience, even just to see how your designs could continue to make money for you after you designed them. So from like the small scale of the little collection I did with them, I kept getting a royalty check over the next few years. So it was a really great way to see how you could expand your experience as a designer and work within the industry. Another opportunity that I had was to go to the Philippines. I was there with Maeve, who was designing jewellery for Links of London. I was working on a different project that was in collaboration with the government in Indonesia, but it was to help them get more exports for their jewellery industry in the West. So in partnership with bringing technical skills where there was technicians from Scotland or England who were introducing new machinery or ways of working at the factories. I was there to work with the designers of each factory and help them design jewelry that would be even more desirable for an international consumer. It was my first time teaching or mentoring other designers, doing it within an industry environment. And it was five very different companies within the Philippines. Some were very high-end fine jewelry making for Imelda Marcus to like more smaller family run where I would go to the workshop with the employees. Reflecting on it now where again later in my career I was leading a design team and just really it was my first experience of learning how to communicate ideas and give constructive feedback to people on their designs and I'm super grateful for that. I had learned from witnessing Dorothy herself and how she worked with each of us within the department. So it wasn't a formal training in teaching or leading a team, but I think I couldn't think of a better role model than Dorothy for that. I understand Dorothy was very good at understanding the individual needs of her students and was so good at identifying opportunities that would really benefit them. The companies and organisations that Dorothy had these links with must have had a lot of trust and felt confident in taking on the students and graduates for these internships. With these opportunities, I remember the owner of Manu in Germany talking about how he first met Dorothy. And every year in the third year, we would go to Germany to Inhorgenta, which was this huge jewelry fair in Munich. You know, even when I think about that trip, it was such an amazing trip because it did have that combination that Dorothy brought of seeing what was going on with industry, but then we also were sketching and going to art galleries and, um, researching at the same time but I remember Horst the owner talking about just what a force Dorothy was in, in an amazing way that she had come to him on his stand and was very impressed with what him and his um, company were doing and it was totally through her striking up a conversation with him talking about the opportunity of having some students come and work with him that this wonderful relationship began and that would not have happened if it wasn't for the energy and passion and talent of Dorothy allowing these companies to trust that it was going to be a equally rewarding relationship for them. Another pivotal moment for me in my career where Dorothy really helped me was I've had a few moments, I would say twists and turns in my career path because 
I went from architecture to jewelry design to handbag design to then being a creative director where it linked all of those things. There was a turning points where I really didn't know what my next move was. And one was when I graduated, I had already started exploring making handbags as part of my degree show. I was soldering pieces of metal together and then joining them together with fabric. And of course, Dorothy encouraged that. And so my degree show, I was able to display jewelry as well as bags, but I didn't quite know where to go next. And she offered me to be an artist in residence at Edinburgh. And in exchange, I was teaching some of the jewelry students there. I'm so grateful for that moment she gave me of when I was really questioning, is jewelry the right thing for me? How do I make this next step in my career? Because it gave me the time to reflect and have the space to continue working and to continue being creative and in this environment. And then it was during that time that Sue Cross actually came to me and she had discovered this college in London called Cord Winners. They used to, for a hundred years ago, make saddles for horses had been where they'd started. So they'd really this foundation in leather making and how to work with leather. And over the years, they'd started teaching shoe design and then handbag design. If I hadn't been there and Sue hadn't like then approached me about this college in London, I'm not sure that I would have got so quickly to the next step in my career. So I think Dorothy, she also had the patience at times to recognize that we all needed our space to work out what we were doing next. And she would provide the support to do that. Looking back now, after time has passed and over the decades that Dorothy has been doing what she's been doing and seeing how, you know, we're all individual reference points of this pursuit of excellence that she had, you can really see the sort of 10,000 foot view of how I know now that when she came to Edinburgh, she said, I can see what I can do here. And she really was making her own path, but her whole goal was quiet educational activism because she really sought to uplift individuals and connect people and make new ways forward. And I think just that way of working, which is so much more entrepreneurial than often people have time or space or inclination for, and just such spectacular results because of her unending energy and sort of visionary nature. And I think that charisma, which is so rare. And I just, you know, you always have a little moment where you remember an individual time with Dorothy. And I, I remember I always used to work right across seven days. I was one of those really annoying students. And, and I would be then first in on, on a Monday morning and I'd be there at sort of 8 a.m. already working. And I was already creating a design portfolio alongside 50, 100 pieces that I was making in 16 metals and techniques and things. So I was just always so busy. And I think that was part of what Dorothy just let that exploration happen. But just from the moment she walked in and you would hear the keys jangling up the, the corridor towards the, the studio. And I just remember feeling, Dorothy's here. <laughs> and then she would burst in the doors and she would say, Maeve, you're ready here. Oh, that orange you're eating, it smells so wonderful. And just from that second, there was this presence of a thing that you were all collectively working towards, which was just about joy and passion in your work. And I think having that to touch on in terms of kind of a, a person in your life that significantly impacts the way you, you think is just such an ongoing inspiration. Mm, thanks, Maeve. Yeah, I imagine it must be. Thinking back from graduation, really, to where you are now, could you plot that journey for us, kind of key moments that led to each next step? I think where I've landed in life is really to live with an understanding of what feels precious for people and to help bring accessibility to joy through preciousness that has value that's not a price ticket and jewelry serves for that so well in, in many different ways and I've really come to that understanding through doing a lot of things that weren't quite right and so along the way within jewelry I've, I've 
tried lots of different areas and an example of doing something that wasn't quite right would be where I went and worked for two years when I was 21 after graduating from Esmer College of Art having my RSA design award I decided I would like to stay in New York for a couple of years having never been just felt bold took my design portfolio and knocked on doors until I found somebody offered me work that turned into a full-time position and I worked for two years in charge of eight full-time sample makers who didn't speak English, they were Spanish um, speaking. And so I learned very quickly technical Spanish, learned what it was like to design sort of 50 pieces of jewellery before lunchtime, which you would be really excited about. And then after a design meeting with the customer, there may be two or three that people would buy and the rest would be thrown in the bin. So, you know, and then you would go out to 34th Street at the Empire State Building and past the stores like Express and Old Navy where they would be sold. And the customer might have ordered 10,000 pieces of the one or two that they'd picked. And you would suddenly see your piece being worn on somebody on the street. And it was an amazing moment. And then I kind of slowly came to realise that that piece was precious in a moment. And then after a while, because it was just plated base metal that it didn't really have a deep meaning and it probably turned green and went in the bin after a while so kind of the getting to the idea of permanence and the idea of using materials as something that could last be shaped into things that would last longer than than that time frame so that's really why I went back to the Royal College to kind of dive back into my own exploration of what was my aesthetic that I didn't really know at that time because Dorothy really encouraged us along with Bill Kirk and, and Sue also Sue Cross to be experimental and and for me personally I was not a student that had a defined aesthetic at my undergraduate I was so much more interested in what materials could do and I wanted to try more of everything that they gave us from stone setting and spinning and anodizing and more lathe work and milling and raising and chasing and just I I couldn't get enough soldering I just every new thing I discovered was exciting because I thought about its potential and I think just not squashing that is an amazing accomplishment for for any teacher and also giving space for that to develop I know that I did very well and achieved a, a top mark kind of technically at undergraduate level but I had just made so many pieces that went in so many different directions that they were all sort of paths that could be followed then mixing that with the fashion jewellery experience, it was important to me to come back to the Royal and kind of think more about the purpose of jewellery. And then after working in a few different opportunities internationally that, that we've touched on here and that came through Edinburgh, the next one that really influenced me was working as the head of design and production development for Western Beamer and Domino in Birmingham. And they sold sort of tens of thousands of engagement rings and wedding bands to thousands of customers in 30 countries. So for me, it was a real first taste of not a known brand, but the idea of supplying the retailers like the small retailer that I'd worked in, independent store, who would buy mountings and sell those. And my challenge there when I got there was, well, we already have 10,000 parts and we need something new. Like, what's the newest thing that you can do in engagement rings that's never been done? So for me, it was a change of scale to get really tiny and to spend time on the shop floor manufacturing and understanding what you could do with platinum that had never been done before. And to me, I didn't know about. It was really about using the flow dynamics and understanding how that could be used to create curves within precious metal casting. And also I traveled with the owner of the company to Italy and spent a lot of time in some unbelievable sort of James Bond-like manufacturers, you know, where you drive up through this rose path and there's nobody there and the gates open for you, you haven't seen a person and you walk into this kind of spaceship, like beautiful design studio. And they had this state-of-the-art CAD cam that nobody had seen before, which was 3D printing at the time. And I was completely well it was STLs and stereolithography process at the time and I was so inspired by what the technology could add to the existing skills of the model makers who I respected so much so then it was my job to kind of integrate that into the traditional model making department which was a real challenge and so eye-opening because it made me have time to understand how that process could add on a very large scale as well as then being used to facilitate new ways of designing. And after that, that was the last piece of my jigsaw. I kind of discovered engagement rings as a thing and how much design and thought and process you could put into this tiny little thing. And then, of course, how much it meant to people, because I always start with who this thing is for. And I think, you know, Dorothy and the way that she thought about other people, that really has always been a way of seeing for me. For me, the customer is somebody that's your job to uplift and look for ways to help and enhance their life. And I just think of people as kind of my way to understand what it is that you can add to, to design that, that can make a difference. 
and engagement rings then went on to become you know the next 15 years of my life and selling my Scottish themed engagement ring designs all across North America with 100 stores telling tens of thousands of rings with my name on them and I would never have imagined that that would have happened to me but it kind of just felt like where I was going and it was so so rewarding to sell that kind of piece with your name on it to somebody who maybe had driven 10 hours to even meet you and see the thing because it was so different to something else that the store had and it was certainly not an overnight success but the way it built 2008 was an amazing time for us because although there was a recession our dynamic with the retail stores went from well nobody comes into my store asking for this progressive looking design thing to oh actually everybody's now coming into my store asking for something different and you're what they're asking for so it was really a interesting time and and I learned so much about that just looking back on ECA it was that kind of approach to people first led by valuing others and valuing materials and process and sort of that scholarly activist approach to making change but gently has kind of ruled my career and kind of as you drill down into what it is is going to be your expertise really reflecting on on the values that you discovered at college are are still inspiring to this day so when I look back on um, my time at um, running my own business it was the time when I first had my elder daughter that I decided it was the right moment to to step back a bit more from running the business So now, fast forward several years, I went through stages of creative direction, passing over to other business partners who were really adept at manufacturing on large numbers and fulfilling orders for customers because they have a much larger generic bridal brand. So they just added it to their market. And that was really enabled me to focus on balancing what Dorothy showed us such an example of in terms of balancing being a working mother with high functioning creative demands on your plate at the same time as trying to be a a good parent. So that's been an important balance for me to find. It's also freed up the ability for me to move my base back to the UK, be close to family and and let my family who I hadn't seen for much for a long time kind of experience both of my, my daughters now and also for them to receive a Scottish education, which I think has been really valuable for them and also for me to focus on projects where I can go much deeper. So now my challenge is, you know, as you as you kind of approach that, that kind of mid to late 40s, you know, I found it's made me kind of question what is the best things I can still do that I haven't done yet and what is the most I can achieve for others through my work, just bring the maximum joy with the time I have while still finding the balance. So really giving back is, is very important to me and, and that which I always saw in, in Dorothy and since actually well, the last 15 years, I have now been a Global Scott advisor for the Scottish government, mentoring all kinds of businesses, lots of creative industry businesses looking to expand into the US. Also right across a wide board of businesses from Scotland who wanted to better their innovation or their impact internationally. Recently, I also, since moving back to the UK, had the joy and pleasure of becoming first a council member and then a trustee of the Goldsmiths Craft and Design Council in London which is an absolutely wonderful opportunity for me to see the very best that the UK is producing and the wonderful makers and the the talent that's there and the pieces that they're creating, which is so inspiring to me to be a part of. And their pursuit of excellence is absolutely summarises what my my goals and and ambitions are and hopes are in in life also personally. And then also to be part of the Scottish Goldsmiths Trust um, as a trustee has also been hugely rewarding to be able to reconnect with what matters to me with the industry in Scotland, which has been also a great joy in the last couple of years, which I'm very lucky to have. So my career path's been quite winding. It's gone from briefly studying architecture, to specializing in jewelry design, to going to the Royal College of Art and specializing in fashion accessories, which was more handbag design and leather goods within the fashion department at the Royal College. And then moving on to working for large luxury companies in the fashion industry. So directly from college, working for Bamford in the UK, and then working for Gucci under Tom Ford's creative direction, and then moving on to New York and working for Michael Kors as a handbag designer and leading 
all of the accessory design team there over a course of 13 years. And then most recently, I was the creative director of Kate Spade for three years, which was an even more expansive role where I was overseeing 30 product categories, including handbags, jewelry, watches, eyewear, fragrance, store design, swimwear, (laughs) ready to wear. And one of the things over the course of that time that I look back to with jewelry design is the attention to detail that particularly knowing that the majority of my career, I've been focused on handbag design for luxury brands, where having this jewellery background has been super important and I think made me stand out from other handbag designers in that I had this expertise in working with metal. And of course, there's the silhouette of a bag and the leathers and other really important elements that contribute to the success of the design of a handbag. But the hardware element is super important too. And especially for a brand like Gucci or Michael Kors, where we often talked about these brand codes. So whether at Gucci, it was like the GG or how the bamboo was being incorporated in a bag. And often it was the handbag department coming up with a new lock or closure that then would be taken by the footwear design team or the eyewear design team or the watch design team. And they would think how they would incorporate that detail into their designs. The hardware piece was fundamentally important And having that experience and confidence in working in metal really served me well over the years and helped me really understand when you're working for those brands, just how important that piece is, whether it's even just with a lock, just how it functions, the sound it makes when you close it, like all those little details that I think coming from jewelry design where you are really talking about millimeters, as opposed to centimeters or even the scale of a piece of ready to wear the factories used to joke about not being able to like hide anything from me because I'd zone in and like really notice all these details, whether it was with a prototype or things like the stitching on a handbag, all these things that really help elevate the end product. So that's something where, you know, having this jewelry background, it also meant that when I was working as a handbag designer at Gucci, I got the opportunity to design some jewelry there as well. Um, as I worked at Michael Kors, there I was more focused on leading the handbag design team. That was a brand that was much newer in its journey than Gucci, where already I came in and there were established elements, whether it was the signature fabric or the use of bamboo, the use of a a webbing stripe detail in in the brand or different hardware pieces, different multiple, multiple ways of using their GG logo. At Michael Kors, it was a bit more of a clean slate. And then in partnership with Michael, thinking about what are the brand codes really for this, for our handbags going to be and how do we evolve that? So having that, that background in jewelry is something I'm really grateful for. Also reflecting on stepping from jewelry design into more of a fashion arena where there definitely was reasons why I gravitated more towards accessory design than actual clothing design. And one similarity I see between handbags and jewelry is I think they're the more democratic part of the fashion world in the sense that with both a piece of jewelry and a handbag, it doesn't matter what age you are, what size you are, the same a woman from multiple walks of life can appreciate the same piece of jewelry or the same handbag. So this breadth of appeal that those items, jewelry or a handbag have in the fashion world, it's it's much broader than, than a dress, which or another item of clothing. So it definitely, I could see this connective thread with my career journey through my approach to designing and thinking about the customer. As I progressed in my career from being an individual designer on a design team to 
leading increasingly larger teams of designers and across different disciplines. I would think about Dorothy and one thing that struck me was really important because as I became more and more directing other designers, I think it was important to lead by example. And Dorothy did that in many ways, but one thing was the fact that she continued to have this very impressive personal career journey within the jewelry industry of continuing to have exhibitions, continuing to be there sitting at the bench, making her own jewelry. And as students, that was important for us to see that she had this talent and dedication and passion for what she was doing and this huge, huge respect in the industry. For myself, as I progressed and I was leading teams, it was important for them to also see that I was still very hands-on. And if we were in a deadline, a late night deadline for a presentation to Michael Kors, or if we were at the factory and we needed to get, you know, one of the designers was having a challenge getting all their corrections passed to the factory, I was willing to jump in and do that. And for them to still see me actively designing on the team and contributing as a designer has been really important over my career. I'd love to hear more about what it is that you're doing now and your thoughts around sustainable, responsible ethics in your in your practice and the work that you do. Now I'm currently living in Bali and I made the decision along with my family during the pandemic. I'd been working full-time for over 20 years for big fashion companies in Europe and America. And much as I love America and I'm really grateful for all the opportunities I've had there, one of the challenges when you work full-time for a company there is the lack of holidays or time off or just the work ethic, particularly in a city like New York, where I remember when I first got there, colleagues saying, oh, I I just was on vacation in Miami and I would be, hold on a minute, you were just there for the weekend. That's not a vacation. And so I'd reached a point in my career where, first of all, I wanted to be more present as as a mother for my son and as a wife for my husband and to just take some breathing space from working full time in a big corporation. I've always loved Southeast Asia. My first introduction was thanks to my time at Edinburgh and having the opportunity of living and working in the Philippines. I've since spent a lot of time in factories across Asia and really just knew in my heart it was somewhere that I could see myself living again at some point. So we took the plunge during the pandemic to up and leave New York, sell our apartment, move to Bali. We had heard about the Green School five years or so ago when we were traveling through through Bali. And it really is a very unique and special school that very holistically focuses on the sustainability and environment and also really educating children to learn through hands-on experience and how to be good citizens in the world, whether it's thinking about even my son, who's only 11 years old, they, they really encourage them to have their own individual passion projects that are going to give back to either the community or the environment. So they're really trying to make leaders for tomorrow that are going to have a fresh perspective through a new way of educating that is more rooted in nature, environment, community. So it's been a really amazing experience to be able to live there for myself to take a breather from working for a big company. And and in that time, I've realized I don't want to go back to working full-time for a corporation. On a personal level, I'm finding a more flexible way of working and also have enjoyed just 
getting back to a more hands-on approach myself. I've started doing ceramics um, and started looking at different textile techniques there, whether it's natural dyeing techniques. I'm just, you know, have been doing a little bit of consulting, but really taking this moment to not rush into anything and feel that I can find a, a different way of working than, than what I've been used to my whole career. How inspirational. It's so wonderful um, to hear about your experiences and really see the impact someone can make on people's lives. I'd be interested to know which parts of your education you think were fundamental to be able to give you the skills that you needed to be able to go forth and build on and carry with you. I think for both Nicola and myself, I would say that we both probably feel the same kind of life stage and career stage in, in that, you know, you almost feel that you're going back to where you were when you're a student to think about what is most important to you and what defines you and what gives you the most joy. And when you've been through school and before you go into to any education, that idea of just being wholly yourself um, and being driven by the things that most excite you, most inspire you and, and wanting to be around the things that are the most fun and the most exciting. And I think that's to then go into a jewelry education where you're learning skills and ways to kind of apply that in the world um, and then go into a career where you've got multiple layers kind of overlapping and connecting to each other. And, and then to kind of almost full circle back to this mid-career stage where you get the luxury of making choices about the things you've learned and how to apply them in a way which is much deeper and really digging where you stand. And I, I think now back to what we had as students and how education is going through such change now in terms of what young people need to have as skills in the world. And I think the things that were probably stand out as being most important to me that I can't imagine kind of not experiencing are, are really that kind of the vocation role models in active practice or in business who you can look to as reference points either as something you really want to be like or something you really don't want to be like and I think giving you those choices and making you understand what that looks like and that's such a tricky thing in, in a world where we're saturated with um, options and access points but it was it was clearer when, when we were at college but I think now it's that what we studied really at college was like that that practice and pursuit of self-awareness through your materials and through your process and the space that we were given to discover that time and the, definitely the, the tools and the individuals around us to facilitate that in terms of really adept technicians, access to traditional skills, links to, to active makers, and definitely the access and the encouragement to challenge yourself to do awards and competitions that might allow you chances to take leaps forward, like facilitated me moving to New York or these things that kind of are fundamental when you look back on them in hindsight. And I think certainly design and learning to design and communicate your understanding of your materials and your practice and, and your vocation and what you're actually going to make money from in the world, whether you're designing an object that you're then creating yourself or whether you're using 2D design to, to create a living or, or a combination of both. I think ways at college where you understand how to use an integrity and best practice of that process are really important. I think in a design education, it is so important to have a design education and that's that's really valuable to, because to me it was a way to make a living and bringing together the understanding of materials and processes and the appreciation for skill and individuals who practice that in the world that could be those reference points so I think those are absolutely fundamental as, as universities and, and institutions are having to evaluate what will give value to people who need very much different skills as we move into AI and technology and a future which is influenced by all kinds of fast change, that ability to slow down and reference what really matters to us as individuals and how we can make a difference in the world. I think that as a fundamental core point is what Dorothy did so well. And I remember at the time when she um, actually retired, I wrote her a thank you note with a little poem that I'd written where I referenced her like a sundial where she kind of stood so tall among us and she let out so much light and everything about her was about the bringing of light, enlightenment. But also she showed us markers that allowed us to reference where we were at different times of day or life 
but never cast a shadow over anything. So it was really kind of that upstanding integrity that didn't change over time as well, and that was always there as we moved through life. And I thanked her for, for everything that she did for me personally and for so many. And I think anything in education that could come close to what Dorothy gave would be a wonderful thing. I think when I reflect on where we are today and looking back on the kind of support and education that Dorothy gave her students, there's a number of things that I think are really crucial. One would be, I've mentioned this before, but this idea of finding design ideas or or solutions through a hands-on way of working. I started to recognize that that was quite a special thing that she'd given us or that a skill that she had introduced to us all when I when I went to the Royal College and I was in the fashion department which was long established as a a clothing design department but I was in the accessory department which was only a few years in its infancy and was still finding its way as a course and just thinking about Dorothy and this idea of resourcefulness and just making do and finding ways around challenges. So one of my challenges was that there wasn't machinery at the Royal College to actually make a handbag. We had amazing support over at Cordwainers, which was completely the other side of London. And me trying to find a way to keep this hand hands-on way of designing. So I I started going into the furniture department or the product design department and trying to vacuum mold bags or trying to find ways to use what machinery there was there, which actually in a way made my designs even more interesting in a way or 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 changed the course in a way of how my final designs there evolved and going back to when you you come to moments in your design process where you're either stuck or or not clear like having this really embedded in you this idea of researching and drawing and sketching and how to free up your creativity and maybe divert and look at something else and how that would then like feed back into what you were doing, I think is, is really important. And having that skill of being able to draw, think through your ideas as well as thinking them through in a three-dimensional form in whatever way you could, whether later I would, when we, again, I'd be in a design studio in New York and we didn't have handbag makers in the studio, we'd make paper models or tape things together or just looking at fun ways to try and keep ideas flowing and and not feel like you're stuck inside a box of how you can work. She definitely created this resourcefulness within us all in how to work, this freedom in how to express ourselves, which I think is so important to really help germinate ideas. You know, I I think we are at a moment where education industry is really changing so quickly with the introduction of AI. And I could imagine if Dorothy was there right now, she would on one hand totally be embracing it and letting students explore it, but really maintaining this holistic approach to everything of you can't just have that one thing be your focus. It's really good to find your way of how do you utilize it or how will we utilize it, but still making sure you have the foundation of knowing how to work with metals. What are those good disciplines of being at the bench and experimenting and doing things in the real world away from AI. And also, as Maeve mentioned, again, with this holistic, being able to provide your students with that balance between creative freedom, whether in my perspective, the fact that I wanted to start making handbags and other things within the jewelry department, she encouraged it she wasn't like no you need to make jewelry she encouraged me to spread my wings and see where that was going to take me I think again giving that foundation of and discipline of skills and whether it was drawing skills or research skills or skills to 
be able to work with metal, but really having no boundaries when it came to our creativity and how do you continue to nurture that in courses now, I think is really important. Thank you both so much for joining us and taking part. It's been a really fascinating conversation and thank you so much for being part of this project. Looking at the wider view of Dorothy's contribution to Scotland, I just felt it was really important to recognise that Dorothy was and is a national treasure to society. And I think the impact of that cannot be underestimated. And that's the beauty of seeing this project come together is seeing how somebody so spectacularly modest and unselfish and so driven can make such a difference to so many. And I think that should be called what it is. And that is absolutely what she is. And she is so deserving of that recognition, although she wouldn't want to be talking about it. When you look at the people who so fundamentally can change the lives of so many um, for the better. And I think that's a great point of reference and, and inspiration for, for us all.